Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Snapshot, episode 61. I'm Brendan Patrick, joined always by Marvel Snap Phenom, Cam Best. Cam, we were talking a little bit before we came on the pod. No OTA uh, in lieu of the Valentine's, like the Valentine's stat changes. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Because, you know, it came up in the YouTube comments. I've seen it on Twitter, obviously. Um, people, I think, you know, people are wanting an OTA to hit. You know, this, is this, this meta, is it a bit stale or is it not, do you think, at this point? I think that calling the metagame stale is fair, mm. but it's been moving. It's just like moving in ways people don't particularly like. It's yeah. ping-ponging between these extremes that are just like all kind of annoying. And also the entire time Thanos is just there, right? And Loki is just there, right? Like everything is changing around that. When you look at like the metagame dynamics, right? It's like, okay, Sarah rises mm-hmm. up then hella rises up right like all these dynamics and now people are like okay let's play tribunal in there right but those dynamics one thing that hasn't changed is thanos has been one of the four best decks loki has been one of the four best decks like the dynamics are what's shifting around that it's very interesting but i i think that you could reasonably call the metagame stale and you could point to a lot of reasons for this but i think by the same token i'm very grateful they haven't released any like insane balance mistakes so when the metagame was not stale and fluid, like I actually think this is a relatively fluid metagame. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of the metagame before Loki came out, mm-hmm. <laughs> where like things keep changing. There's yeah. a bunch of things you can be doing. There's a lot of good decks. It's changing. It's just that instead of those decks being interesting, like Silky Smooth and the Shuri Kitty, and just interesting things are happening, the decks are hella. Mm-hmm. and sarah and they're not interesting and they don't play interesting <laughs> so people are a little sick of it yeah i think some of the top decks uh and I, we talked about this on a previous podcast like some of the top decks in the metagame just have points of frustration that's like the marquee thing that that deck does like hella is just mm-hmm. a inherently frustrating deck i think some people don't like getting shang chi all the time or enchantress you know hitting hit by tech cards um so yeah i think it's funny because in terms of marvel snap for me, it feels like this is about as stale as it gets, which is actually not that bad. There's a lot of playable yep. decks, um, and a lot of things are viable, especially it depends where you're competing. Where I'm competing, which is around 1,000 to sub-1,000 infinite, I mean, a lot of things are viable. That being said, I'm still just playing Thanos. Um, I like... <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, oh, yeah, I play against a bunch of stuff that I beat at a 60% clip. I'm playing something better. Yeah, it's it's funny when you talk about win rates in Marvel Snap because, honestly, nothing comes close to Thanos for me because of just the crystal clear snap equity in that deck. Crystal clear. Like, it is so infrequent (laughs) that I lose a game where I draw, you know, one of my five nut nut hands. You know, like, it happens, Mm -hmm. but... Also, when it happens, usually I'm leaving for two because usually it's also clear by turn six that maybe I've gotten a bit unlucky on some of these rolls and we have to leave, whether it's me getting Shang-Chi, me rolling something um, not particularly great in the lockjaw. It's just the deck. It's such a good deck to climb with. It, it, I think it's for me, it's the best. I mean, for me, it's the best, too. That 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 is, I think, because it's the best. I've got some theories along those lines. Yeah. No, I mean, Thanos is is by far the best deck in the game, in my opinion. Like last week, I was thinking, all right, I think this is the best deck in the game. And that might be a hot take, but I think it is clearly the best deck in the game. This week, I'm thinking this is by far the best deck in the game. This is this is a deck that is just so much better than everything everyone else is trying to do. It does. It's the everything deck. Thanos has once again turned into the everything deck. 
And that's uh, I mean, I, I, I like playing it, but I mean, I assume the whole world and everyone listening to this knows my position on Lockjaw at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we actually have some questions about Lockjaw, too. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's funny with Thanos. It's like some still like sometimes I, I do lose to Helidex. I do get Shang Chi'd sometimes, and in, 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 in unfortunate scenarios, and yeah, you just you lose to other decks in the metagame. In terms of consistency, it's a lockjaw deck, but it is a fucking consistent deck, like a very consistent deck, which is what gives it the power. I also love the the modality of some of the cards in that deck, particularly the stones. Like just it's just funny how how powerful something like reality stone can be and it may be due to where i'm competing on the ladder but um just like some of the a cube equity i get with some of these some of these reality stone plays particularly because people are playing decks that can be subject to that whether it's hello or living tribunal like some of the location changes can be particularly nasty and i feel like i sneak a four cube or a cube or that more frequently than i should thanos just gets a bunch of stuff for free right What's fundamentally happening with Thanos is something that's been happening basically with every Thanos deck, which is like, okay, so these stones are your downside, right? You're playing a yeah. bigger deck. So how do you turn the stones into upside? The answer is lockjaw, right? Like, and and that has been true of every Thanos deck, except the one time Thanos didn't play lockjaw because he was relying on, you know, Professor X Eliath, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's the one time that hasn't been true is because there were terrible lockjaw targets in the deck. But basically the rest of the time has basically been like, Classic deck building, right? You take something with an upside and a downside and you do everything you can to eliminate the downside and maximize the upside. And that's Thanos. And I just feel like on average, the Thanos deck is going to be favored in almost every situation, right? Like there are situations that beat it. Yeah. Like your opponent played Quinjet Loki after tempoing mm-hmm. out really well. Yeah. You sure you lose that game. It happens, right? Like your, your hella opponent pitched four cards and you're just like, all right, I guess I die. Right. Like that happens. But on average, this is a deck. That is going to beat the things that's in front of that is in front of it. And it's also a deck that has combo type snap equity, which means you're looking at like a, a deck with a positive win rate that has very easy snaps if you're a higher level player. So, yeah, yeah it's very obviously to me the best deck. In the yeah. What is uh, what is your current like 12th card in Thanos looks like look like? Because for me, you know, usually it's that Jeff or Leech slot that's kind of constantly mm-hmm. being swapped out. Um, I also was a bit of a psychopath and was trying Nico Minero over there as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, just for shits and gigs. What, what is your 12th slot looking like right now? Are you, are Jeff. you Leech? Jeff? Okay. Yeah. I, I am not a Leech believer in Thanos outside of, like, the way I think about it is, and this is something I, I talked about with the human spider. He's the one who pointed this out to me. What he's doing is Kyera on ladder Leech in Conquest. And I think that is a relatively reasonable assessment because right now on ladder, I just don't think leech is relevant, right? Like this is this that's the kind of thing that you can just leave a game for one if you're in a situation that only leech would solve. You could dip out of those games for one. But in conquest, it covers those matchups and it also covers the matchup of just like random BS. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's what Leech is actually covering you for. For those games where you are trapped in there for 10 cubes against Wong. Like for those games where you're trapped in there for 10 cubes against whatever weird thing that Leech can actually cover for in in those matchups, because those matchups tend to go in the direction of like, okay, they go in the direction of those decks tend to be like limited in terms of power, but very good explosive turn six, right? So you can actually sacrifice some of your power as the Thanos deck in order to do that. But on ladder, a lot of the time you're just better off being like, nah, I'm good when someone's going to combo off on you and just going into the next game and winning it, right? Yeah. 
you have to respect that kind of stuff in Conquest. And I think that's sort of why yeah. that switch is happening. Leech is also a funny card because I feel like if I, I almost, I mean, obviously there's outliers where if I leech a turn, if I leech a player's deck on turn six, they basically have no way to win the game, like an all in combo deck. But even against something like destroy Hella to an extent, I feel like if I, if I ever play out leech as my turn five play, I just lose because I just did nothing yep. on turn five. I played a five three. It yep. does nothing. And they, they have a giganto that can go anywhere now. It's just like, it's not good. Yep. Uh, yeah. So uh, anyway, go ahead. I am, I am under the impression that Leech is not doing his own job in any deck. He is doing Kyera's job in every deck. Mm. Like, when I talk about Kyera, Kyera is your condom in Thanos. She's there to prevent anyone from anything bad happening to you, you know? You, won't, you can do it without her, but you might not be as safe. And what's frustrating to me about Leech is that Leech seems to be in that same prophylactic role. In every deck you play a Leech in, you're doing it to prevent them from interacting with you. You're not doing it to stop a Hela or a Tribunal. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. You're doing it to stop them interacting with you. And that means that Leech is not doing his own job. He's doing someone else's job, which means someone needs to do Leech's job. And I don't know what that kind of card would be, but he's not doing his own job right now. Yeah. All right. Well, <clears throat> in the news, we did have a new card release, which was Corvus Glaive. Corvus Glaive. It is a 3-5. It says, Honor Veal, discard two cards from your hand uh, to get plus one max energy. You know, Lambie was pretty high on this. He's like... This absolutely goes in ramp. This is like one of the best ramp cards ever printed. And he was right. It does go in ramp. But ramp still sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a ramp card. <laughs> that comes with the good and the bad. Uh, I think, honestly, if you wanted to evolve that ramp deck to the next level, it involves just cutting Sandman. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, like, Sandman is just so embarrassing. And I know, like, there's going to be a bunch of people who are listening. It's like, oh, but Sandman wins me those free games against those decks. It's like, yeah, but like, if you're actually playing Sandman against any of the top tier decks, you're just losing. Like, yeah. you play Sandman against Thanos, you're dead. You play Sandman against Hela, you're dead. Like, you just, you don't actually beat it. You play Sandman against Loki, they played the card Loki, they don't care that you played the Sandman, because mm -hmm. they're just playing your cards now. Like, these are very clearly, obviously, things that beat your ass when you rely on Sandman. And yes, it does clean up a bunch of bad stuff. But if you want a deck that cleans up a bunch of bad stuff, you can do better than Sandman. Yeah. Do you think the part of the the argument against Sandman and its efficacy against like on something like ladder where you're facing a lot of matchups is similar to the the argument against Leech, which is you just can't play a five cost four power thing in yep. this game because pretty much yeah it, you, like you could look at other cards that are costed similarly maybe like a Shang Chi but when you're evaluating the value of a Shang Chi it's not it's not a four three um, it's like a four plus whatever you destroyed with it like a four thirteen um, and Sandman it's also is all, a three yeah. Sandman's, Sandman's always a 5-4, a 5-4, and Leech is always a 5-3, and those are just stats that don't really work in this game, I feel like. It, I don't necessarily think it's don't really work. It's that they require you to either scale up very high very early, or have extremely powerful late game plays that are much stronger than what your opponent is doing, mm -hmm. right? And... When the decks that you're looking to target with Leech and Sandman are decks like Hella, it's very hard for you to do that because it's like, OK, they can just play a Giganto. They just have a guy with a big they can play a, that, a, that Leech Magneto. Yeah, they can do all the stuff that I'm doing, except I'm the one who went out of my way to play a five four. I'm the one who wasted a turn to impose this condition on the game, and it doesn't even really hurt them that much. 
And Thanos is the same because Thanos has so much big stuff that it's like, all right, nice Sandman, dude. I do not care. <laughs> like, I do not care about the Sandman. I'm going to play bigger stuff than you. Yeah. And that just sort of kills you, right? Like, it's it's a very weird card. Sandman right now will be very good against a wide variety of bad decks and very bad against good ones. Yeah, I mean, their their turn four is a Sandman. Your turn four is a cor- is um a Cold Obsidian, or you play Timestone yeah. the turn before, and it's like a it's a Dino, and then you go turn you go uh, turn five play and a turn five play and a turn six play, and it's just it's in a weird spot right now. Um, I have a list here. It is version one of the mm-hmm. list because I played version one, and then I was like, okay, this belongs in the garbage, and I put it back there. <laughs> Uh, no, it was fine, but it's it's very jarring going from something like something like Thanos, where um, like like Cam said, it has this combo level of snap equity. Where it's like, oh, I just have the nuts, and then you you have this deck, and you're like, do I snap when I have Electro in hand? Do I snap when I have Corvus in hand? Or do I snap? <laughs> do I snap after Corvus discards two other things that are not Hella and that can definitely play Hella? Well, I that's did, actually it. But it's I, actually that one. But then I do that, right? I do that, and I still fucking lose. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it doesn't get any better than that, and I'm still losing. I, can't, I just I can't play this deck. Anyway, the list: Electro, Corvus, Glaive, Wave, Sandman, Ronan, the Accuser, Vision, Arrow, Leader, Doctor Doom, Hella, Odin, Magneto. A lot of these are swappable, um, mm-hmm. and honestly, I might take a few out, but. Yeah, just like ramp doesn't seem super well positioned. I think that ramp is, I don't know, this, honestly, I still think that ramp is something like a fine deck that you could bring to a tournament, um, like especially like a two deck tournament because it can be particularly good against other things in the metagame because like, I mean, basically the argument you made for Sandman, um, but in the open ladder right now, the open metagame that is the ladder, or at least the things you're expected to face just seems not good. <laughs> it's just not, it's not great. I think you'd be 0% bringing this to a tournament because the bad matchups it has are all the decks everyone is guaranteed to bring. Yeah. Like, I, I get what you're saying, but this meta, ugh, I don't know about that. Yeah, maybe not for this metagame. I'm more, th- I'm more think back to when, uh, like, when Moyen brought it to a two-deck format and it had really nice coverage over some of the metagame. That was a bounce-dominated metagame. Nevertheless, I felt like it was, like... Uh, it just depends. Like, yeah, it's a format I haven't. I really wish the Snap Fan World Championship. By the way, I really wish it was mm-hmm. two deck. I really wish it was two deck. It is one deck. Um, I'm so yeah. excited for it. But man, I love the I love the deck building stuff. That what? Let's let's talk about that. What? Hold on. Can I can I can I rewind? Yeah. One second. Go for it. That deck that Moyen brought that was unfortunately my idea, and it resulted in his worst performance yeah. in any tournament ever. He lost, so- but he lost, but it was it was a good pick, and I don't even think he's he's he was sad about it. I talked, to, I was talking to him um, in person after he had mm. not made top eight, and he was like, "Oh, I still think I had like a really good lineup." Okay, I, I at least feel good about that because I felt really bad after the turn. So I was like, "Oh my god, I feel like we nailed this." You did. But we clearly didn't. If Moyen piloting them couldn't get us there, nah, you, you guys definitely nailed it. I remember showing up to the tournament and I was like, "Okay, uh, most of these lists are very stock standard. This is exactly the metagame I was expecting." And I was like, "Oh, more, I was like, oh shit, what is this? Oh, that just destroys every single deck in the metagame." Um, anyway, for the step. Uh, for the upcoming tournament, the Sapphire World Championship, what do you think will, what do you think is the best deck for that tournament, and what do you think will be the most played? Well, there's an OTA in like five days, right? True, true, true. Let's say there wasn't an OTA, just so we can get context. No on OTA. Oh, Thanos. Thanos. You think everybody Thanos. brings Thanos? 
Uh, so it's going to be okay. Here, here's how it is, right? It's Thanos and then various decks that people convince themselves beat Thanos. Mm-hmm. And some of those will, and some of them won't. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be like probably a smaller proportion of weird decks on the lot in that tournament that I would expect. But that said, I mean, I'm not actually 100% on who's going to be in the tournament, but I know a lot of like off meta players are qualified, like some several of my friends that mm-hmm. are like not Thanos gamers and definitely will try to attack it from a different angle. So I'm interested to see what happens. But yeah, I mean, I would expect Thanos to be the most played deck barring catastrophic OTA news. Yeah. Uh, is it OTA? Is there a patch on like March 6th? Is that how it works? It goes like week off. OTA, this whole thing messed up my understanding. Exactly. <laughs> so you're asking me, and I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> is it like OTA patch OTA starting now? I don't know. Yeah, that's what it should be, I think. Because it should have been, it should have been OTA for the lovers event, mm. week off, then OTA patch OTA. So between now and the SnapFan World Championships, there should be an OTA and a patch. I mean, hopefully I it's a it's a well, I mean, OTA and a patch, then we should definitely see a shakeup. We should definitely, mm-hmm. I mean. I expect it, but it's not guaranteed. Do you think uh, <laughs> you kind of we kind of talked about? Do you think there is a deck that um, clearly beats Thanos that doesn't I have think, atrocious other matchups, like where you're just auto losing I mean, to like random decks? Loki and Annie Bounce are those decks, right? Mm-hmm. Like Loki is a lot worse into Thanos than people sort of have it in their heads as being. Where it's like people think of Loki into Thanos as like that's favorable, but that heuristic is from before the. Lockjaw stuff. That's like the W Thanos builds, like where they were like locking lanes down with Professor X and Eliath. Mm-hmm. Loki is really good into that. Loki is a lot worse into way uh, like a lot of the asymmetry introduced by the new cards, right? So first of all, Lockjaw is asymmetry, but like Call mm-hmm. Obsidian, that's asymmetry. You might not be able to play that. Scar asymmetrical. The Thanos player Scar is usually going to be better than your Scar. Uh, Devil Dinosaur. Once you actually play the card Loki, you get their Devil Dinosaur. Like it's probably going to be pretty bad because you're going to be playing a lot of cards, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are a blob, of course, is asymmetrical. Their blob is always going to be bigger than your blob, even though it's closer now. Like these are legitimate things that swung the matchup uh, towards Thanos. And I'm not sure it's like Thanos favored or anything, but it's definitely not like the free win it usually is. Or it is believed to be, I should say. Yeah, it's still probably pretty good, but it's definitely not like. It's definitely not what it was where like previously it's like you play the card Loki and Thanos is unplayable. And now now we are not in that situation. Yep. Agreed. Anyway, on to the bend and snap, which is our listener question section. If you want to get your question read out, you can choose a comment on YouTube. First one is from Brandon Street. They say uh, they nerf all the early threats and Lockjaw comes trotting around the corner with Hell and Thanos like you guys miss me. I didn't miss him. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't miss him at all, man. Do you think we need more uh, early scalers in the game? Um, it wouldn't hurt, but I also don't know that it would solve the problem that is Lockjaw. Like, fundamentally, Lockjaw is only ever going to be either very good or unplayable, right? Like, that's the kind of card that he is. And there's a degree to which you're okay to have those kind of cards in your game, right? Mm-hmm. Like, th- there's a degree to it, but it's like, if I had to choose between nerfing Thanos and nerfing Lockjaw, I would nerf Lockjaw 10 times out of out of out of 10. I would nerf Lockjaw 10 times out of five. Like one of these cards is iconic and the name of the game 
and the coolest and most interesting and most fun card in the entire game. And the other one of these cards is Black Bolt's Dog. <laughs> like, what are we talking about here? Yeah, it's just so funny, uh, too, because Lockjaw has this like, uh, it, I don't know, got this rap, I guess. And not anymore, I wouldn't say, but got this rap being a, a higher variance card, but it is just not that at all. It is just such a controlled level of variance, um, and it feels like such a free roll in some of those decks <laughs> as well, especially Thanos. It is either a card that turns 1-1s into 12 power. Yeah, which is pretty good. Or a card that lets you dig three extra cards in your deck for your combo. And that is how Thanos and Hello respectively use it. Yeah. All right, next on some Thunder Keg, they say, I think a good rework of uh, for Lockjaw would be, when you play a card here, that card can move locations next turn. It's not gutting it and still represents his identity as a teleporter in Marvel canon. How Honestly, that ability might be very good uh, and might just have to be limited to one card per turn and also just once per game. That does strike me as a very good ability. Yeah. I'll, be, I'll be honest, that's like a really, that strikes me as a very good, very interesting ability. And I think that is a great rework for Lockjaw, actually. Like, I, I fully support that. Yeah. One cost into 12 power is just like, like when you put it like that, it really crystallizes part of the issue. Um, yeah, I watched I watched someone play uh, Rock into Lockjaw and pull Blob. And it was just like, oh, that, that's just 16 power you just got for free. Cool. Bit better than a rock. Bit better than a rock. Mm -hmm. um, next one's from Michael. They say, is it called Bend and Snap or Bed Did Snap or Ben Did Snap? I've always wondered that. Well, I'm not going to answer that. Um, next one is also, what do you think of making Leech a six cost, three power on reveal card that says all unrevealed opponent cards lose their effects? I think it would be a nerf requiring priority to play, but it would also make for a very different card as you could incorporate it um, as one of the multiple six drops, as, as, as one of multiple six drops in parentheses, Dr. Doom, that you can decide between on the final turn of the game. Uh, yeah, I, I just... I don't think, uh, I, well, we both obviously think that Leech is balanced at this point. I understand it's a frustrating card, but in sort of the same vein, playing a six cost three power that doesn't have the effect of a Lyoth, mm, I don't know about that. Yeah, like this just turns it into bad Lyoth. Yeah. It's just like, why, why, what would the point of doing that be? I think if I were to rework Leech, I would be like, okay. Uh, he's a five, five and affects two cards in hand. I, I don't know. Like he's clearly not doing his own job. So maybe put him in like the black bolt disruptive category instead. Like just do something else with him. Right. Just be like, uh, he does reverse spider ham. Like the cards that they just drew get nuked or whatever. I, I really, I really don't know. But as is, I think they need to. Uh, if I were them, actually, I would go back to the drawing board and be like, what is the goal of Leech? Mm -hmm. Is the goal of Leech to prevent this metagame kind of stuff from existing? Because he doesn't do that. So how do we make a card that is good against turn six stuff, but is not only used as a prophylactic for decks that cheat energy and can afford to play it? Yeah, not sure. I'm not sure. Because I, I think that the effect that he serves is, I don't know, I think he, he does it pretty well. Um, Again, I just think of the current metagame, like his, his, his stat line is, it's, it's not worth the effect that you're getting often due to the context of the metagame. Like in some metagames, it might be possible, but due to the context of the metagame where pretty much every deck that you're hosing with this card still has a banger turn six play if you leech him. 
most of the time. And they can always, you know, rip the card off the top, which is the design of Leech. Like, you still don't know the one singular card to come off the top. Could it be Hello? Could it not? It just feels like a card that I don't want to be playing because I'm giving my opponent, like, all the agency just blow me out most of the time. And they have infinite equity to leave if I'm actually hosing them. Yeah. Anyway, next one is Robert River, and they say Marvel Snap is a game about winning two out of three locations by having more points than your opponent. I believe there are plenty of decks that can put more points than Hella Lockjaw on two locations at least. Destroy, Living Tribunal Ongoing, Phoenix Force, Wong, Panther Zola, Sheenot, Mr. Negative, Shuri, question mark, not certain. Why don't people play decks going higher instead of playing the same stale build with Zabu Shang-Chi they played for a year now? Are... Are all these decks oppressed by the Zabu Tech Soup decks? So all the decks they listed. Um, if so, why aren't you looking at the problem through the lens of having so many decks uh, that can't go higher than uh, than Hella be nullified by the same uh, Shang-Chi crap we've seen for a year? Instead of placing the problem on Hella for breaking the mold and having uh, a way to work around it. Instead of placing the problem for Hella for breaking the mold and having a way to work around the tech cards that invalidate other decks, so... I guess I mean, I don't really think. Hold on. I, first of all, I recognize this person. They had a hot take on my most recent hot oh, takes okay. episode where they thought that I was using this podcast to shit on Hella players and calling it brain dead, which I absolutely never did. And I think we're having another issue of miscommunication right now because under no circumstances did I ever say that Hella was not a reaction to Sarah. Now, please give me the decks that they're talking about, and I will run through briefly one by one why each of them does not solve the issue. Destroy. Destroy doesn't go tall enough unless it has the nut draw. If it does have the nut draw, you end up not being able to do much about it. But yes, if you like totally nut off and make a 24 power Deadpool and a 48 power null, you can go taller than Hella. This is actually a big reason why I play Arnim Zola in my destroy deck because of that matchup specifically. It is a thing you can do, but fundamentally you are not very consistent at doing it because you need to draw your Deadpool very early. You need to draw your X-23 very early. They need to just have some combination of their cards in hand, discard three of them and win the game very much different requirements in terms of the level of the level of luck you need to get as tall as they do is a little bit higher than what they need to get that tall yeah and i just keep i just keep remembering what you said about lockjaw because it's very important lockjaw players their floor is digging three cards into their deck when you talk about a combo deck that needs a few pieces to get going it's like it's kind of insane actually um speaker card yeah next Uh, one living tribunal ongoing Absolutely does farm Hella. 100% playable on my tier list for that reason. Correct analysis. Good one. Good call here. Phoenix Force. Impossibly difficult to play. Yeah. This is a, a remarkably and incredibly difficult to play and deck. And it also has the same problem that Destroy has, but even more pronounced because your deck can just not do anything a lot of the time. Right. If you combo off, yes, that's great, but you are not reliably comboing off the way something like Living Tribunal is actually fairly reliably comboing off because of tri- because of Iron Lad, because of Jubilee. You as a Phoenix Force deck are not reliably comboing off, and most people, and I mean like literally everyone except one guy, should not be playing that deck because they just don't understand it the way the way the chat does yeah if you want to learn how marvel snap actually works like how the game is actually like coded then, and yes. things work play phoenix force because you there's <laughs> some things you you're like wait what <laughs> the what? the nico cloning herself off of phoenix force stuff is like why does that work there's yeah. so much stuff in Phoenix Force where you're just like, that shouldn't be the way that that works. Okay, so it's like it's like Ghost Spider, Ghost Spider, Hulkbuster, plus some other shit on turn six, and all of my multiple mans ended up on the left lane. You're like, 
Uh, and it's like not only does like <laughs> your sequencing and like your where your multiple mans are. So your origin, your origin point, of your multiple mans matter. Where you move them matters. When you move them matters. And where yes. and when you where you put the ghost spider and the Hulkbuster also matters. And at the yes. end, your result is you have no fucking idea what happened. It's just like okay. Yeah. Um, also, Phoenix Force does. I know that Jet is consistent with the deck, but. I don't think it does its thing a lot of the time, to be honest. <laughs> it's, yeah. And it's, it doesn't have that lockjaw, right? Like yeah. it doesn't have like like the way that Tribunal has Magic and Jubilee and Iron Lad to dig, right? Hella has lockjaw. Phoenix Force has nothing. Yeah. You're like, oh, I get to deviate to my Deadpool game plan now. And it's like, <laughs> I didn't do anything for the first three turns of the game. Turn four, start my Deadpool plan. <laughs> It yeah. can be intense. Um, I still think it's a fantastic deck and it's super fun and everybody should try it because uh yeah, it doesn't function like anything else in the game. Like you if you think that if you haven't read Jet's article or Google Doc and you think that you have an idea of what Phoenix Force does, I promise you you don't. I promise you have no idea how that deck actually functions and what it's trying to do, because it is finicky as all hell. Anyway, next one, Wong Panther. Hold on, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to come up with a name for the manifesto. Yeah, it's like in, in League, there was the Dunzo Manifesto, mm -hmm. and I want something, I want a catchy, like, the something-o Manifesto <laughs> here for, for this. I, like, I feel like it's important. The 43% the or Manifesto. The 43% is your win rate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I encourage everyone to go check that that doc out, even if you have no intention of playing Phoenix Force. It's just eye-opening for, like, how the game works, because... Almost no other deck in the game actually encounters the scenarios that this deck does in terms of like actual ordering and what and where yeah. things are played. It's fucking bizarre. <laughs> it's the average the average Phoenix Force stat line over like twenty games is like winning like eight of them, but being positive twenty cubes. <laughs> that's that's the average Phoenix yeah. Force stat line. Yeah, your opponent also has no fucking idea how it works, and that's actually a benefit. <laughs> yeah, it's like. <laughs> Yeah, it's insane. Anyway, next one is Wong Panthazola. Uh, kind of insanely bad, right? Because you end up in these situations where, like, if you're pulling off your combo, A, Magneto, which is everywhere, disrupts your combo. B, Shang-Chi, which is everywhere, disrupts your combo, right? And so you end up in these situations where you're looking at this super high roll combo that, yes, if you pull it off, yes, 32 to 64 power is probably going to beat Hella, right? But also you are extremely vulnerable to everything everyone else is doing. And you, it is not viable to just beat Hella. You have to beat other stuff too, right? And where something like Living Tribunal actually can realistically be like, yeah, I'm beating Thanos here. You know, Magneto depending. Magneto's very good in that matchup. Uh, something like Wong Panther Zola generally cannot. Yeah. And it ends up in these situations where it has it, it's trying to do the same thing as Living Tribunal in these matchups, but it just has a worse matchup spread. And it requires significant investment, all that stuff. Plus, I'll be honest with you, I'm really not sure how good the Loki matchup is, as long as Loki remembers not to Loki and just like Shang-Chi the Panther. It just feels a little awk. Mm -hmm. Next one is she not. Uh, actually doesn't go taller than Hela. Like it, it does sometimes and doesn't other times. And Hella having that seventh turn is like actually good, kind yeah. of a shockingly big deal where you're just like, oh, man, like they could actually really compete with me for this. Uh, they usually like, oh, well, that's another like they get to play out like a Giganto or a 12 power Ebony Blade or something along those lines. And 
it doesn't go tall enough, taller than hella reliably enough to be described as anything like a counter. And similarly has this issue with a lot of the best decks in the game just have location changers for free. Like yeah. Thanos gets it for free. Dude, uh, Loki insane. gets it for free. Yeah. And you just end up in this situation where it's like your game plan is so face up that players playing the other decks will end up running over you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like <clears throat> having reality stone is just like the freest, <laughs> the freest win sometimes against Sheena players. It's ridiculous. Um, anyway, Mr. Negative. Uh, I mean, it is Mr. Negative, I think is enough of a downside there. Yeah. Mr. Negative is like a, I don't know. It seems to be like, a, in my opinion, it's like a wildly bad deck. Maybe there's some Mr. Negative truthers out there, but um, yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely not the a thing, fan. The thing about it is you're suggesting a bunch of these combo decks, and it's true that Hela is basically the smallest combo deck because it's hard to interact with in terms of numbers, right? Yeah. But being hard to interact with is like the entire value it has. And you're suggesting all these other decks that are actually extremely easy to interact with. And you'll just like randomly lose eight cubes to people who understand how to interact with your deck or to your deck not being that good, right? So Hella combines consistency and hard to interact with into a shell that has a very positive win rate, even for a combo deck, which is good, right? Yeah. It, it, Everything here right. except Living Tribunal, I don't think is worth investigating in terms of beating Hella. Living Tribunal is. It will do it. Yeah. Hella is very durable, actually. Yeah. That that is exact. That is why. So first of all, you have the lockjaw issue. It's digging three extra cards in his, into his deck. It's turning Blade into a Magneto and shit like that. Um, Etc. You know, it's it, especially for a combo deck, drawing three extra cards, insane. But also, it's just very durable to tech cards because I mean, Hella comes out on turn six, and it's a priority game, and then you're also kind of guessing. And I don't know, very very good deck. And so, I want to make sure I'm calibrating my response correctly. Could you read out the last sentence again, real quick? Uh, yeah, it was it was hard to read, but that could be me. Um, anyway, instead of placing the problem on Hella for breaking the mold and having a way to work around the tech cards that invalidate other decks, so I think that the and here is not supposed to be an and. So I think it's no, it, no. I you got it. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I got can, it. I got can it. you repeat well, it back to the end because I don't got it. Uh, what he's saying is we shouldn't blame Hella when people aren't adapting to it. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to calibrate my response to that appropriately, because like, I feel like the reason I reacted so strongly to this was because I read it as him saying, everyone is just stupid. All of this stuff beats Hella. And I just don't think that's an accurate statement, right? Like that's how I read that. It's just like everyone here, everyone is so stupid and they just refuse to adapt and just want to complain about Hella. And it's like, no, that's not what's happening. Hell is a really good deck and should be respected as such. Mm -hmm. Like, it's really good. It combines durability and versatility. And yes, if you want to really specifically beat Hella, you do have to play something like Living Tribunal. That does go tall enough. You do have to sacrifice. If you want to play another combo deck that beats Hella, you have to sacrifice either your durability or your reliability. That's how it works. Yeah. Question for Hella. Do you think if we looked at the true win rate of Hella, um, as mm. true as we could get to, do you think Hella actually deserves all of the hate that it gets? Or do you think yes, some of it I comes from play I pattern? It, oh, I think, all, I think it absolutely deserves the hate that it gets because of the play pattern. Okay. So it's not, it's not necessarily tied to it being like this very overpowered deck that has this crazy win rate. It is just, oh, it feels like I can't do anything and my opponent just hmm? you know, free rolls me sometimes. Yeah. I, I do think a lot of the, I, I mean, that's always been my issue with her, yeah. right? 
Like I, I remember, I, I feel like I was on the freaking vanguard of complaining about Hella. I was, I was ahead of everyone else because it was happening at Top Infinite before it was happening everywhere else, right? And so I was on the vanguard of being like, this sucks ass. And as I got used to it, it was like, all right, this sucks a little less ass. It's fine. I can deal with it. Like, I'll live. It's not like the worst thing that's ever happened in the world. But I do think that it's worth considering if you want to put your player base through the experience of learning how to deal with that, when the experience of learning how to deal with that is just losing until you realize when you can and can't stay. Mm -hmm. I think that experience is what the player base writ large is having right now. And I think that is the argument against Hella. Not necessarily that it's quite good. I think it's fine for it to be good, honestly. Like, I just think that, like, the issue is until you figure out how to play against the deck and stop basically feeding every Hella match, and that process takes a while, I, I worry there's fall off during that process. Yeah. Card, card game is really, card games love agency. Um, even though they're playing card games, which are you know higher variance than other games, um, and I don't know what that because I also loved agency. I feel like at one point, but I kind of gave up on it because uh, I genuinely, I genuinely believe it's sort of an illusion. It's less so in Marvel Snap actually than other games. I, I genuinely believe that in Marvel Snap you play, you actually play a bit against your opponent. Where in other games, I think that playing against your opponent is a complete fallacy. You actually play against your opponent's deck, um, and the pilots are just the they just make mistakes. That's it. They just deviate from the perfect game and they're just imperfect pilots. But ultimately you face your opponent's deck. And I think that getting getting sort of tied up in the ego of trying to beat your opponent, it, it, it leads to a lot of feel of bads in, in at least these other card games. Because when your opponent is much worse than you, whether that's a true statement or not, or you just perceive it to be that way, when you lose to them due to what you think is variance um, or whatever, it feels really, really bad. But I try to view things more as facing my opponent's deck nowadays and i i just i don't i don't i don't i don't put as much um weight on agency anymore uh or the, like the idea of agency. so if my opponent has a combo deck that's beating me and it feels like i can't do anything it's just like that's a game that's you know that's a game i lose it's a frustrating play pattern but i i lose just as many games to um something like sarah it's just like it's a bit more face you know it they're doing it via tech cars and blowing me out maybe outplaying me more if that makes sense if that makes sense it's just something that i've been thinking yeah. about for a while uh in terms of agency and card games I've been thinking about it for significantly less time, but I do think that like Hella and Sarah are kind of on a spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. One of them is the gamble deck and one of them is the interaction deck, right? And yeah. decks decks run the limb, run the gamut from being a, a Sarah type deck to a Hella type deck. And I think the lesson that I would take away from that is that neither of them should be like, we shouldn't be ping ponging back and forth between these two things. We should be somewhere more healthy. Uh, unfortunately, right now, what the merger between Hella and Sarah looks like is uh, Thanos. So maybe <laughs> Which maybe is a sweet deck. Shouldn't. It's a sweet deck. It is a sweet <laughs> deck. I gotta say, like, it's a fun deck. It's super fun. But like, yeah, that like it, it, there is there is something to be said for like, because like what fundamentally is happening is the this commenter has made the correct observation that Hella is here because of Sarah. That is correct. Mm hmm. The incorrect part of this was assuming that the people who are trying to beat Hella are just not doing it because they're too lazy to try or something, right? Where it's just like, why aren't people doing all this stuff? Well, because most of it doesn't work. <laughs> like it's it's the kind of stuff that's like, oh, that would work on paper, but in 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 practice, it tends not to. And you end up in these spots where you're just looking at like, okay, well, maybe of those living tribunal is a good suggestion. Yeah. And other than that, it's really tough to beat.
Like, Hela is a better deck than people think it is. It just yeah, is. It's, really it's a better deck than people are giving it credit for. It's a good deck. It's just a goldfish deck, and I think that people have issues with decks like that. Um, I mean, Marvel Snap is, like, the least goldfishy card game that exists, but Hela is, like, the, the most extreme end of that, where you kind of play this, like, Solitaire-esque game plan um, of trying to goldfish, like, the best combo out of your deck and disperse the best points. So your opponent does. doesn't matter as much. I mean, sure, tech cards still exist, but... Um, yeah, also, I do I, I, gen, I do think that Hella is a cool deck. I do. I would never play it. Me too. I sometimes get frustrated and people play it against me. And when I say I never play it, I still play it. I, I've tried it out, but it's, it's not for me. Uh, but it is, uh, it, it's pretty sweet. Like, it is a very, very resilient, m- dynamic combo deck. Like, it's almost, it almost feels a bit mid-rangey sometimes, which is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. No, it's cool. It's a cool deck. I like it. I also like that it's pretty cheap. Yeah. Like, I, I like that part aspect of it a lot as well. Uh, I, I'm generally a fan of, I think I, I've gone a full 180 on this where it's like, I'm generally a fan of Hella. It's a shame about her play patterns, right? Like, I think, I think it's not her fault that Sarah forced us into this situation. I think nerfing Hella without nerfing Sarah would probably be some sort of mistake, but it's not even even really Sarah's fault. It's just like the preponderance of tech cards. There's now a tech card for everything. Yeah. Like Sarah had Mobius in it. And it's like, oh, I have the random Loki tech card in here, too. What the hell is that? <laughs> do something about Miss Marvel. Do something about Gladiator. Give it less free power. Do something about Maximus, right? Like, these are these are the kind of solutions you could actually do to prevent a deck like Sarah that's eight tech cards, Sarah, and then three things that have actual stats on them from being a good deck. Yeah, Gladiator is a ridiculous card. <laughs> ridiculous card. Anyway, um, I want to ask you, and I know I keep butting into the Ben and Snap question I have, and with my own mm. questions, but were how like what position do you think Hella would be in, and how healthy do you think it would be if we did if there was a significant nerf to Lockjaw? I think that's really interesting because I think of the Lockjaw decks, Hella is the one that can handle it the best. Thanos handles that by. I'm guessing uh, having a panicked freak out, locking himself in a closet, you know, <laughs> that's how Thanos handles that. Hella handles that fairly well because Hella just like doesn't actually have to do a lot. Mm-hmm. Like it can afford to do that. Whereas Thanos, it's like, all right, if I'm playing this on four, I just lost 66% of my, like 33% of my total potential output for this lockjaw. I'm not yeah. saying Thanos won't still play it, but it'll be like, okay, I just lost a lot of my potential for this lockjaw, right? If that if it if they and like I've seen a lot of people pitching four cost lockjaw and it's okay. like that 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 seems very brute force and a uh, little like I hope they have a better idea than that <laughs> that way but uh, it would work right like it would make it a lot harder to play in Thanos and I, I the weird thing is though I I don't actually know that that would do a lot of damage to Hella. Mm. I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. So, like, what if, what if, like, okay, let's just say we deleted Lockjaw from the game and it didn't, it didn't mm. do the thing where it kind of fishes a card back into your deck and it doesn't increase the, the chances of you getting your combo. It's not letting you, like, free roll these blades and stuff into these, these big boys. Um, where does Hell lie? Because Hell kind of becomes more of a combo deck at that sense. Like, it, it does yeah. rely more on, like, literally just playing Hella. I think you might end up being, like, a hybrid Black Knight type thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think you might end up something along somewhere along those lines as opposed to just being a hella deck. Like Ghost Rider and stuff. I mean, they still so, some yeah. decks play that right now. I, the one that I wasn't playing, but they would have those more because Ghost Rider is more of a mid range esque kind of threat. Yeah. yeah. Like to me, the draws of Hella, and I feel like I've said this four times on the podcast, but I'm gonna say it again. 
non-interactivity mm-hmm. and reliability. It is the peak of non-interactivity and reliability. Imagine combo decks on a triangle, right? And one one corner of the triangle is non-interactivity. The other corner of the triangle is reliability. And the third corner of the triangle is maximum power, right? Hella is peak non-interactivity, peak reliability, min maximum power. Mm-hmm. Tribunal is peak uh, power, peak reliability, min non-interactivity, right? And then everything else is somewhere on that spectrum. And that's why I think that like when we talk about combo decks, you're often better just playing either Hella or Tribunal, depending on what the metagame looks like and what you can get away with. If you can get away with stuff, you play Tribunal. If you can't get away with anything, you play Hella. And then everything else just sort of exists in the middle of that, either less reliable, less powerful, or less non-interactive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think just uh, like the last thing to say about Hella is I do think, and I know this is going to be like kind of controversial, I do think that Hella requires more player skill than people give it credit for which is i I know it's a crazy take but no that's that's correct yeah there's a lot of people that are probably screaming screaming in hella talking about how terrible the play patterns are that have actually maybe never played the deck or never given it a serious try and you'll realize that the combo is maybe not as consistent as you thought sometimes you do actually have to think about how you're sequencing your decisions and you know what things might come out of lockjaw how that affects your hand what you're discarding etc like it is a it is the classic combo hate. You know, like I actually, mm-hmm. I remember I was reading something because the Magic Pro Tour is going on right now and people were hating on Lotus Field combo watching it. And it's just like, there was one, there was one Lotus Field player that went, you know, runner, runner, do double, do double outs off the cycling and just like got into top eight. And then the other one got thought he's on turn one, which is a card that takes a card in hand. Thought he's on turn one, never drew anything, lost the game, didn't make it in top eight. <laughs> it's just like, that's the spread of combo, but combo haters won't mm-hmm. talk about the second one. They won't talk about the second one. Uh, Combo haters hate him. <laughs> no, it's uh, uh, hell is a pretty difficult deck to play. I I do think that there's a lot of like small nuances that influence percentages that you have to think about. And I do think like this is the frustrating thing. I, I keep coming back to this is when I talk about play patterns, I try to talk about them honestly. Right. Mm-hmm. I try not to be like, oh, I'm just mad because I'm losing to this thing. And I, I I'm frustrated because I feel like there's a segment of people that talk about play patterns that use the language to disguise the fact that it's actually just they're mad about losing them. Yeah. And I get frustrated by that because it feels like I'm really trying very hard not to do that. I've been like holding myself very accountable on the hella stuff, right? Like I've actually been specifically going lighter on it yeah. out of deference to that fact. And it's like, I really, really wish that people could just say this fucking sucks to lose to. Yeah, I mean, I do that, bro. I lose to Hella sometimes. I'm like, this is bullshit. My opponents are so dumb. They never snap me. Like, mm-hmm. they don't. They have the thing. Like, they never go for the extra cube. Do they not even know they have the thing? Like, what the hell is this? And I'm like, I get frustrated. But yeah, yeah you do gotta, you do gotta add that like extra layer of consideration because. I mean, the emotional reaction to how I don't think is indicative of the actual power level play pattern and all that stuff. It's like Elias, where like people still get mad at Elias. And it's like, that's that's a super balanced card. Super that's balanced. like a totally fine card. Super fine card uh, as well. Did you know people got mad at me for calling you a sicko for being a Galact, like saying Galactus sickos like they thought I meant it? 
Yeah. Uh, I am like, honestly, when it comes to TCGs and decks, and I'm a piece of shit. I, I love the worst kind of decks. I love the worst kind of decks. Like, I'll to sit here and talk about design all day and like what should and should not be in a TCG. But then as soon as we talk about what we really like, I'm like, oh, I like the ultra prison, lock the game out, take all the fun. I don't know. It's just, I enjoy that. I do. I, whenever it gets down to like, hey, let's play a fun mid range game. You put down your four or five. I put down my four or five in another lane. You respond with your five, six. You know, these look for hypothetical stats. I respond with my five, six, six in another lane. We both have tech cards on the final turn. Fun, fun, fun. That's, that's a, that's like a level, like a different level of hell for me. I, I could not do that. <laughs> it's the worst kind of gameplay. It's, but Galactus, Elias. Peak, knowing peak you have decent. your opponent in the palm of your hand, you know that mm -hmm. you have the full knowledge and you get to enjoy that full knowledge for 90 seconds. The turn timer winds down. You know, they're thinking, oh, God, what if he doesn't have it? Can I stay in this game? Yeah. Mm. Yep. He did. He did. I am losing about me, so he must not have it. <laughs> Yeah, Galactus was peak TCG designed for me. Oh, just, God. Uh, but, you know, so, yeah, Nade Shot had to say it was bad on Twitter. So. Yeah, those whiners. All the whiners. <laughs> they just Marvel don't. Snap Twitter. They just don't. They just don't. It's so easy to counter. No, right? <laughs> <laughs> they just don't get it, man. All you have to do is put these five different tech cards in your deck, and you're fully insulated against Galactus. You might have an unplayable deck, but you're insulated. Anyway. I totally to forgot yeah. about Nade Shot. getting mad at Galactus. Yeah. And then all the comments were like, bro, it's so easy to counter. Uh, bro, it is easy to counter. It's just that <laughs> it's not very fun to counter. That's the problem. <laughs> like Galactus, I, I know Galactus ended up doing well in a tournament. Uh, I think it was Browdy who did that. Yep. But it was like a dog shit tournament deck, like for a while, uh, to be mm -hmm. honest. And there's, there's a reason for that. It was easy to counter. It's just like, it's not fun. It's not fun to counter. It, it dictates deck building, and that's not great. Um, anyway, on to the next one, which is Life. Wait, wait, wait. Can I read some comments on that Nade Shot tweet? Oh, you have them? How? Okay. I, I, I Googled the Nade Shot tweet. I, I just want okay, to read okay. a couple of them. So, like, let, let me read the Nade Shot tweet first. At Marvel Snap, Galactus continues to be the worst card in Marvel Snap. Takes all the fun out of this incredible game. I know there are counters, I understand, but every single time it's played and you're using a deck without counters or didn't draw a counter early, you just wasted minutes of your life. And to be clear, 100% correct. <laughs> absolutely Bro, fucking nailed but this. But to be fair, he didn't describe playing against Galactus. He described playing Marvel Snap. Sometimes... <laughs> You fucking lose. Like, what? I don't understand. If you okay, don't draw okay. your combo, don't draw... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> oh, here's some combos. Uh, don't cry, LOL. Galactus is fairly balanced. You have many options to counter him. That's a that's a renaissance man right there. That the response. Uh, yeah, that that is that is absolutely thinker a, thinker a of our generation. <laughs> <laughs> uh there is one guy here who like absolutely just said exactly what you said my man you just described the core gameplay of marvel snap if you don't draw any decks counter early or have it all you most likely use lose don't hate the player galactus hate the game marvel snap <laughs> also i really hope the one percent doesn't get galactus nerfed into the ground that's actually so sick galactus getting nerfed is because anyone who no it's like an accusation of privilege Right, so, like if you wanted Galactus to get nerfed, you need to check your privilege. It's the vocal minority. Yeah, it's just, it's just that that damn one percent. 
What? Yeah. Galactus. So here's one. Uh, if you can't see or counter a Galactus coming, that's just a severe skill issue. Hey, I'm not going to say there's zero validity in that statement, but it might be a bit uh, aggressive. Okay. I do think that the one, <laughs> the one thing about the Nate Shot tweet is I do think he described the gameplay loop of Marvel Snap when he was like, Galactus sucks because, and then he described Snap. Um, <laughs> I was just like, okay uh, that's kind of <laughs> anyway uh those were good times dude i don't feel like the community has been as divided since uh but i know, we'll see we'll see hey, all we need is mogwai to stir the pot on like what yeah what is what is the what is the card i think that i saw him hop on the hop on the hella thing recently yeah but i mean like that's normal right imagine you come back to this game and suddenly you have to play like 30 percent of your games against hella and you're just like, what the fuck is this who yeah. allowed this to happen uh, <laughs> I think a Marvel Snap is a, is a game when playing ladder, it's hard to take, like, at least, like, your, your win rate and stuff, like, incredibly serious. Because it, it's really a game about losing less and winning more. It's not a, it's mm -hmm. not a, it's less a game about, like, beating your opponent all the time and not playing your opponent. It's more about losing less in the games you're losing and winning more in the games that you're winning. And that's just a weird dynamic for a TCG player to encounter. Um, but still, hell yeah, hell sucks to play against. I agree. <laughs> um, anyway, on to the next one. Life, love. Maybe I'm out of, t out of touch, uh, I'm too much in an echo chamber. He they didn't even write. I'm out of touch. I just read that. Maybe I'm too much of a, in too much of an echo chamber, but I've never heard anyone speak positively about hot locations. I legitimately have never met someone who likes them. What proportion of the player base do you think actually enjoys them? And do you think this is primarily pre-infinite players? Well, how the hell would I know? Pre-infinite players matter regardless, but I will say that I do think that there is... Uh, a significant portion that probably enjoys it. I don't think they enjoy all of them. There's probably some that are annoying, but I'll tell you, if anybody has ever been hard stuck, whether it's on the ladder, um, in terms of the infinite ladder, or it's grinding up, and you get that hot location that favors your deck, or you're like, oh shit, I can build a Mr. Negative deck before anybody builds a Mr. Negative deck because it's peak and people are slow, and then you get those cubes, you feel like a genius. I think some people like that gameplay loop. Can I just say one thing that I think sucks about hot locations that I don't think people talk about enough? Mm -hmm. It benefits people with more cards disproportionately. For sure. And I think that that pretty much sucks. But if you reverse engineer that, you kind of wonder if maybe they're not a mechanism to sell those cards. Know what I mean? Oh, look at the benefits I could get if I picked up that card that happens to be in my shop. I picked up that Wong on Camartage Day. You know, like I, I kind of wonder if there's some uh, financial incentive for them to keep doing hot locations. You know what? You just you just hit on a great point. My, like Second Dinner has been leaving money on the table. They need to have hot location themed um, like shops like the. The selection. <laughs> you need to have one that's themed oh up hot location. So when it's peak, it's Mr. Negative. I don't know. When it's... Um... Tucker, do not listen to this. <laughs> Turn the podcast off. Money on the table. Come on. Slacking. Um, absolutely slacking. Yeah, I don't know. Ugh. Quick tangent. So I always talk mm. about that I get targeted by the OG Marvel Snap ad on like YouTube. That's like, it's Ben Bro. It's like, what if you couldn't buy all the cars? And it's like, okay. <laughs> um, I was listening to a podcast. It was a magic podcast. It was about like old school. So it's like totally irrelevant to like modern, uh, modern discussion. But it was like a little bit old. And he was like, yeah, we've been snapping recently. And he's like, oh, really? Cool. How is it? And he's like, it's actually really cool. It's kind of like old school magic. Like you get into the game, you can't buy the cards, kind of like opening, you know, the power and stuff. And I was just, it just reminded me of like that, that it really, it really was a thing. And it really is a thing in Marvel Snap just in the beginning. 
and then we kind of end up in in this mm, little bit pay for power. What I will say is that I do walk back some of my. I don't know how hostile it was to the acquisition system. I think the acquisition system is actually pre- pretty healthy if you play every single day or every single it's, week. It's okay. Like, I think that I would like a few more viable decks. Like, I, my biggest issue with the acquisition system is it doesn't feel like they synced up their balance with their acquisition yet. Yeah. And I'd imagine they're working on it, but like, it's like, Okay, it feels like there's not an overwhelming understanding of what the consequences of their decisions will be. And that's totally fine, right? Like, it's very hard to know what exactly the consequences are. But it's like, all right, when you guys buffed Gladiator, why did it take until now for him to be in a cash? Right? Like, isn't that just leaving money on the table? Right? Like, things of that nature, it's just like... I really wish they would break some of their, like, quote, whatever rules are preventing them from doing Mm -hmm. that. I think they need to be broken because people like that's the biggest thing. I don't think the acquisition is necessarily as big of an issue as the actual access to the cards. I think that acquisition, uh, there is like a huge blind spot right now, um, which is actually not like, I mean, to an extent it is new players because try catching up. It's, it's going to be tough, um, but it's really players that try to come maybe take a little bit of a break from Marvel Snap and try to come back. Because I was talking to Moyen, um, mm-hmm. and I was like, you know, I've been enjoying Snap a lot recently. I have, you know, even in the Hello Meta, I have. But I was like shooting him some decks, you know, maybe trying to get the juices flowing. And he's just like, dude, there is, there's just no way he can come back. And especially, I know this is contextual and it's, it's not, this is, it's, it also depends like where he wants to play. You know, obviously he wants to be playing very competitive decks. He wants to be grinding, uh, you know, grinding ladder, competing in tournaments. Like the Snap Fan World Championship is going to have to use a different account or something like that. But trying to come back as a player that hasn't been engaging with those like week to week missions or daily, like it is a huge gap, like really, really rough. So I hope that they implement more catch up mechanics. I have nothing to add to that. That's 100% correct. Yeah. Because now that I'm caught up, because I did fall a little bit behind for a while, now that I'm caught up with like all of the relevant cards, um, I feel like I have a pretty healthy amount of resources to deploy on cards that I want, especially if we're looking at, okay, playable cards in a month, probably two out of four, um, maybe one out of four. I- I'm, I'm good. Four, <laughs> I'm good, though. Like, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, so, yeah, I hope they implement more catch-up mechanics as I would like to see people would like to see people be able to engage with the game a bit more casually. And I know that doing missions is casual in theory, but it's not. It, like, I think if you're <laughs> trying to take a break from the game, you don't want to be doing homework, which is what missions are sometimes. So hopefully mm-hmm. more catch-up mechanics. Anyway, next one is from Kaising. Couples event in a vacuum is fun. Uh, replacing hot locations as well, uh, but also came with it replaced hot locations as well, but also came with the cost of an actual OTA. And that's what I really disliked about the thing. I don't care if I don't I don't care for the little funny uh, funny adju- adjustments or garbage cards. Uh, but but playing another week of Thanos slash Hella nonsense meta isn't acceptable. All right, man. Is someone holding a gun to your head and making you play that week of gameplay? Like. People get like this a lot in games where it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe the weekend quests are making me do this. Right. Or like, oh, my God, I can't believe this meta is so bad. Like, bro, I'm I'm telling you, take a break. I play this game for a living. Got two podcasts, a YouTube channel where I upload every day, a stream. I have taken 
multiple full days of not opening this game. Because that's what a break means. And I like I'm pretty sure it's not your job. And I think one of the things that this game and mobile games in general are really good at is triggering those addiction centers in your brain and making you feel like you have to do it. You don't relax. It's okay. Yeah, you actually can. If you don't like a meta, take a few days off. Like, I do agree that there's some issues to be had with like, okay, well, they didn't do an OTA and I can understand not liking that. Right. But like the way this is being talked about is like, this is unacceptable. It's unacceptable for you to have to play a week of a metagame you don't like. Unacceptable. Never done that before. I I don't know, man. Like, I just I'm sympathetic exactly until it starts going into hyperbole, basically. Mm. It's like, yeah, because you start with like a reasonable thing and you're like, Oh, I didn't like that we missed the OTA. Cool. I don't like that either. I like having OTAs. Totally. Yeah. And then it goes into like a completely unjustifiable land that I I can't follow you there. It's hard because I feel like when I encounter these scenarios, I bring in a lot of perspective from other TCGs where metas get like really stale for for months. A really long time. Yeah. Like, and it's freaking bad. Like, uh, way worse than this, way worse than Thanos Hella. And obviously, that's subjective. I'm talking like single deck format, broken deck, like just terrible uh, for months and months on end. And sometimes it's just due to the, 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 the nature of the medium, like physical TCG. They can't really do anything about it without banning cards, introducing more cards. Maybe there's a set coming up so they don't want to ban, um, et cetera. And banning is always just like a pain in the ass because it's bad for the game. Um, Marvel Snap is about as good as it gets, and I tried to find solace in that, but also, yeah, I mean, I take I take breaks from Marvel Snap frequently. Mm-hmm. Also, <laughs> I have to take breaks from Marvel Snap. I legitimately don't get frustrated at any other card game, ever. Almost ever. I can't even think of a scenario. But almost every single time I open up Marvel Snap, I get frustrated. <laughs> Like, there's just something about the, the game loop and something about the dynamic stakes. Um, there's something about the way the matchups go that... <sighs> You know, it, it taxes me a bit sometimes. I got to take breaks. I do. And you know what? We had someone on this podcast that encountered something similar. It was actually Molt. He was talking about it. He was like, oh, yeah, dude, this game. Freaking- <laughs> he didn't say it like this. This game freaking pissed me off. <laughs> uh, I saw I saw a clip of Molt where he was just like, I can't fucking play this game anymore. Oh, he closed it down for the day. It's like, I'm done. And it was like, you know what, man? I feel you. <laughs> I totally feel you. Like, yeah, I think everyone feels like that. At some point, like that's how it happens, right? Like you, you get like some horror, some horrific bullshit. You lose eight cubes. You feel like you wasted your day. And it's just Oof, like, yeah, you, you have to. You don't have to do anything. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to get those ranks back. Your life is going to be the same without it. Yeah. Like, you're going to be OK, man. We like, talked we talked about Torkin, but you're like, OK, I'm going to try to gain 50, uh, 20 cubes today. 20 yeah. cube gain. And then you go down nice. 40 and you're like, oh shit, I just got to break even. I got to get it all back. I got to break I get it all back. I don't even I want the 20 cubes. I don't even want to gain 20. I just want to break even. I just got to get back to where I, I was. I'm really, I'm really bad at that myself personally. <laughs> yeah. Like again, these games are really good at triggering our addictive, the addictive portion of our brain. You're just like, I have to get it back. I need it back. I need it back. I need yeah. it back. And I encourage you, viewer, listener. I don't really know whether you watch on YouTube or on one of our various podcast platforms that you should subscribe on Reddit a review on <laughs> rate this podcast. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. it. It you, you need to be a, a little more in control of it if you can. Yeah. One day I do want to dive into the, the psychology of why Marvel snap evokes that much worse than other card games. Cause I do think it's particularly interesting and I don't think it's close at all at all. 
um it, it's yeah i have to th- I have to do a I lot mean, more thinking to know right like who how would we quantify whether or not marvel snap makes you matter like well, it definitely makes you matter but like how would we like how would we start with the hypothesis right something how, something how in regards it? to dynamics i think it's re- related to dynamic stakes it's also related to like the something in in regards to like the shortness of games um like you're constantly making impactful decisions so there's no real time to cool off or another you know, tcgs is like yes an impactful decision was made maybe you made a mistake um but you don't immediately make another uh i i don't know there's there's a lot to think about uh in regards to why but it's something in regards to i think like the speed of the games dynamic stakes um and just yeah i don't know it's past that that you know that's where my that's where my train stops where it's like i gotta think more okay yeah i'm interested to hear brendan's grand unified theory of why marvel snap is such a tilter <laughs> i don't know i feel like i'm untiltable but i get tilted in this game <laughs> like i'm out of time anyway next one is uh mugiwara they say they have three questions question number Hold one on mugiwara okay that's that's straw hat it's it's luffy okay i'm not gonna lend i'm not gonna sit this let this one piece disrespect happen (laughs) anyway continue question number one when you're in a match and bar sinister comes up what kind of cards do you both typically play there in general obviously it would depend on the deck you're playing but what do you prefer uh but do you prefer to play tech cards or some other form of card there and what cards are your favorite to play there vision Holy shit, Vision. I love that Vision is it's, it's like this card that you can randomly run in a bunch of decks and just like, so typically when Bar Sinister pops up, I'm thinking of two things. One is, can I get advantage out of this that is exceeding my opponent's advantage? The other is, can I get advantage out of this and then turn it off? Yeah. Right? So can I do something unfair with this than Snow Guard Hawk it or Reality Stone it, right? And then the third thing is just, I'll dump a big guy in there. Yeah. Right, <laughs> that's that's the third thing. Flexibility right? is the biggest one, right? Because you talk about vision, but let's think about the other mm-hmm. some of the other best threats. Uh, Venom. So you're mm-hmm. getting all the payoff, but none of the limitation. Uh, mm-hmm. Then there's like cheese stuff, like turn three goblin with priority, like it's just absolute scam. Um, yeah, I think that I prefer to. I try to put asymmetric cards in there, right? And I would look at obviously everything is asymmetric because it only pops up in your board. But I mean. I look at the effect that Venom has on Bar Sinister as very asymmetric to basically any other card in the game. It just free rolls it. Absolutely free rolls it. Um, yeah, Venom, Vision, Hulkbuster, like just something that gets you an advantage that they can't get. Mm-hmm. And that's usually how you should approach every location is how do I get an advantage that my opponent cannot from this? Mm-hmm. It's actually how you should approach Marvel Snap. But yeah. like, but yeah, like like typically it's like, all right, I, I wanted I want to do something stupid with this, or I want to do my thing before they do, and then turn it off so they don't get anything out of it, things like that. Yeah. Question number two: uh, When you get to use your credits to upgrade cards, do you just upgrade any variant uh, that you can't uh, that you can that costs as much as you have at the time, or do you save up your credits for when you can upgrade specific variants of cards that you like slash most use? Uh, I personally just upgrade whatever I can to continue increasing my collection level so I can claim rewards from it. I do the second one. Yeah. Uh, all my variants, I pick a good variant and then I make it purple and yeah. then I split it and keep it purple. Yeah. So also some context is like, I think that will change when you're closer to collection complete because you will not be trying to turbo increase your collection. It's more just, oh, here's a variant I like. Do I, well, mm-hmm. filter number one, do I need or not need spotlight caches? If no, then it's wait for variant. Did I tell you I opened Howard? Oh, finally. 
Yeah, he was my random series four, series five. I'm nice. still kind of upset about it. Mine was I, I now tokens. own I now own Howard the Duck. Yeah. Mine was a thousand tokens, and I think it's more valuable than yours. Definitely. <laughs> I would have traded a thousand the Howard for a thousand tokens any day of the week. I have fifty thousand tokens. I still would have done that. <laughs> Holy shit, you have fifty thousand tokens? When's the last time I needed to spend them on anything? I just uh, I mean the last time we had the conversation, I think I had twenty-six and you had like twenty to thirty. Just, I have 50,000 tokens and 24 caches. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's ridiculous. Uh, I have every card they will make for the next year. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Question number three. Maybe someone has asked this before, but have you two ever considered... Uh, have you two... But have you two ever thought about starting a Magic the Gathering podcast? I'm not sure how often you play you two play or up to date with any of the current cards or seri- uh, decks or series sets, but I love when you two mention magic topics. I think some people hate it, or would definitely <laughs> listen to a podcast for MTG. Uh, the two of you made one. It's hard to find good MTG podcasts that, that uh, don't get too technical. I feel like we get pretty technical on here, or focus too much uh, in play specific formats like Commander. Um, go go listen. God damn it. Okay, they changed the name from Arena Decklists, right? But go listen to Jerry Thompson. Just go. What, what just is it go. called now? What's it called? I know the Discord is now Jerry and Dave. Uh, I don't know if they actually officially changed the name from Arena Decklists because I have not had the occasion to listen to the podcast in a while because I do not play Magic the <laughs> Gathering, which is why I should not have a podcast about it. I haven't played Magic the Gathering in like three years, dude. I. It's 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 a part of me forever, but there is no way I have enough actionable anything. I have enough actionable anything to mention it once a week, yeah. right? I don't have enough actionable anything to talk about it for okay. any amount of time. Let's call it MTG anecdotes and just it's just random bullshit. Because <laughs> that, that's all classic. we do. That's all we do. It's like it's just we just use. So basically. Mm-hmm. People who play magic. And most people in the TCG space, they, they don't even know, but they inherit a term, they inherit a terminology that is used to, used to describe TCGs, whether it's gameplay patterns, certain cards, effects, that it, that comes from magic. I think a lot of the people that use that terminology don't even know its origin, but it basically just comes from old magic cards. And it's like yeah. a way to shorthand talking about certain game state scenarios that might be a bit more complex if you were to try to parse them out to what is exactly happening. Okay, so I I checked, by the Mm -hmm. way. It is now called the Jerry T Podcast. So I was actually basically correct. Mm -hmm. Don't get mad at me, Jerry. Uh, with uh, Dave Shields and Matt Costa. Yeah, if you want, if you want like a good podcast, they're they're literally who I imitate every single time. Like this is there. Yeah, if you want us for magic, it's definitely them. My favorite magic podcasts are uh, number one is Mark Rosewater's podcast called The Drive to Work. Mm -hmm. It's about game design and. If you love hearing, if you like hearing design, especially about old sets, which is what I like in the old days of magic, it's a great podcast for that. Also, Mark Rosewater, despite all of his goofiness, is pretty smart dude. Um, and my other one is actually a very, I think, I think this is a relatively unknown um, and innocuous podcast, even though it's been going on. It's like on episode two hundred something. It's called All Tings Considered T I N G G S. It's basically about old school, pre modern stuff like that, and I just find that stuff relaxing referencing the referencing mize tings is that is that where that Probably. is going bro yeah that's the thing is i don't even know what it's referencing oh my god i just like the I, like there's a bunch of like old magic stuff that i only know the name of yeah like I only... sunglasses which you mentioned the glenn you didn't even know the card 
Sunglasses, sunglasses of Urza. Sunglasses of Urza. Yeah, yeah, that's a great card. I have. Yeah, it, it, like yeah, like this is this is. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like, there's so much old magic lore that or magic terminology that it's just like not a thing. I just googled it. I learned tings is short for beatings. So there you go. I just thought he was shorthanding things. <laughs> No, 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 no. Tings is like old magic slang that I only knew through the name of the website. Mize is is if I recall correctly, Mize is like uh, a, an abbreviation of like you, you you get it just like you get something that's like randomly, right? Like you mize it, meaning to just like inexplicably get something good. You know, someone could actually write a uh, like a. A dictionary what bro i yes. got so lost there for a sec i was like uh i was like definition encyclopedia like i was going down the list and i could not find a dictionary of magic terms because like it's it's pretty incredible to be honest but yeah the fandom wiki has a list of magic slang <laughs> that has uh 27 entries for current items mm -hmm. and that's not every entry it's alphabetical so it's for for zero through nine ones that start with zero through nine and then everything starts with a that's one entry right mm -hmm. and then below that there's obsolete terms which is a further like 13 uh 13 categories not 13 entries 13 categories of entries and then there's card names and abbreviations which is a further 24 <laughs> that sounds less, less than i expected no, 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 no. I'm not saying categories, categories, right? Okay. So like a right for a we have a B U R Excel agency, agro, agro control, allied colors, alpha strike, answer, anthem, archetype, aristocrat, as fan, attrition, abzan, azorius. That's a and each of the things that I talked about, there are 24, 27, 13 and then 24 more of those paragraph definitions yeah i uh when i first got into the card games i didn't play magic or at least not really maybe played a draft here and there i actually just had to like go back and like look at all these cards and learn them because people just talk like that and i know we try yep. we i know we talk like that and it's annoying sometimes but try to explain it past that but you know people be like oh i just have this anthem effect i'm like what the fuck are they what it's just like these old school magic cards. Anyway, the first time you reference something being mid, like some sort of mid control deck as you dub control, what? like someone's just going to look at you like you've grown an extra head. <laughs> you dub control. That's a great deck. That's a great deck. It's definitely not <laughs> mid. Definitely not mid. Um, anyway, oh, next one. Wildfire. Um, so my question is, what does Cam think is a healthy metagame? Most of them. Mm. but if you could like, if you could break it down into its into its component parts what do you think what do you think makes up for a healthy meta marvel snap constant motion decks that are fun to play and change around their positions on the tier list fairly consistently and relatively unpolarized matchups and i'm not saying some polarization isn't good it can be good but relatively unpolarized matchups i will say that the metagames that I find are best at generating this are typically metagames where there are a bunch of decks that are doing a similar thing, 
that have different upsides and downsides. So you end up with like, for example, we'll talk about the silky smooth metagame, but that metagame is lucky because it got cut off before it had the opportunity to get really bad and everyone was playing bird abs by Loki. So people remember it more fondly than it actually should be. But like, honestly, outside of maybe some play pattern issues, I consider this one a pretty decent metagame. Like there are there are some severe play pattern issues in terms of like how things feel. But that's sort of not germane to whether the metagame is good in the sense I think this person is asking about. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I sort of find it hard to describe, yeah. basically. There's Generally, my categories are you can play multiple decks. Their choices are meaningful. Yeah, there's um, there's one thing you said that is pretty interesting, which is like how, how it feels, right? Play pattern stuff. And mm -hmm. I feel like the more I play TCGs, and this could just be my own uh psychopathy you know i just like terrible decks i like making you know playing unfun decks but i think that it's less and less i want tcgs to actually be fair and fun for everyone because i feel like when games try to design tcgs like that and you can look at the standard example is people try to design the lands out of magic or they try to take the prison mm -hmm. out of magic or the control out of magic and they just end up designing these vanilla boring bland card games um and they do it ge genuinely um and yeah so i i it's interesting. I, I just wonder if like TCGs are not necessarily meant to be 100% um, fair, 100% fun, and that play pattern actually matters a lot less than people give it credit for because the opportunity cost of designing for play pattern is you can make things boring. I think that's a very fine line. Because uh, I'm waffling that because Flesh and Blood right now is just... Flesh and Blood is in a state where it's like, it's extremely mathy. Extremely math. Like it basically feels like doing arithmetic homework genuinely and uh, it like basically all the, and the reason for that is a lot of the fun decks just rotated the format they effectively got banned and when i say fun decks obviously i'm talking about the decks i like but they were hated and loved by the community they were polarizing decks and nowadays we just have a lot of vanilla combat damage and it feels and because of that it, it doubles down on flesh and blood's big inherent issue which is the resource system is tied to the to the value of the card and you can basically it's it's virtually solved in terms of like the math of it, right? Because all cards are balanced based off a mathematical value, and you can figure out what cards are better than others in most situations. So, never mind. <laughs> that, that's what do you mean, never mind? You uh, were cooking. Uh, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. You were cooking. No, you were cooking. Uh, basically, was... I'm, I'm preparing for the Flesh and Blood Pro Tour, which is in mid March, and okay. it's painful. It's tough. <laughs> it's fucking painful. It's painful. It's painful. It's just, it's, uh, yeah, it's, just, it's, it, it's hard to play a game like that and then look through it, look through it, uh, via the lens of we only want to win. Cause mm -hmm. when you look at it through that lens in a game that is that balanced and that mathy, I don't know. You just end up with these decks. It just feels like you're doing, you're doing arithmetic homework. Like it's, it's just not, it's just not very fun. And I'm, it's hard to distill what is and what is not fun, but uh, it certainly isn't this. It certainly isn't is that, the math. Is that a you thing or no. is that an everyone thing? So I, the reason why it, it's kind of a polarizing issue because it, the people that are complaining about it and they're not complaining about it out loud because they get shit on by the community um, are usually the, players that are attending the pro tour but they're also the players that have been playing the game for a while so there is there's a right. very there's a very fair argument that those jaded boomers who like an old school right. version of playing the game which is just never going to come back and because of that you know they're they're just not going to like anything i think that's a fair argument so really it's something you have to keep in mind when you critique a game is like am i just a salty bitch because sometimes you are 
Right. This actually goes back to like the hella conversation. (laughs) (laughs) It does. Yeah. But like, that's sort of where I was going with that, where it's like, okay, so a bunch of like, isn't it weird? Because like Flesh and Blood was actually started out of like this paper boomer mentality, right? I'm going to recapture this thing. And they have recaptured the experience of all the paper boomers being unhappy. (laughs) It's also it's a digital game like that. Also, that doesn't help if it's due to the way the game is. Wait, it's not a digital. It is, though. It isn't. Yes, because the third party program and how to play Flesh and Blood is extremely accessible. It has everything you need and everybody that everybody plays Flesh and Blood online. Nobody, nobody go. Okay. A, it's an extremely small minority, and I would say almost like infinitesimal or doesn't exist that actually just plays in paper at the local game store and then goes to the pro tour. We all play online, and the ways to play online are seamless at this point, and not only in constructed but also in draft. The draft, the, the sophistication in regards to the online draft is insane. Uh, one click queue on demand, also third party sites that are aggregating drafts, picks, packs, everything, and can visualize it later. Like it is completely digital digital and technological game. The only difference is that the, the publisher of Legendary Studio is not is capturing zero of that revenue. Digital game. God, I wish they wanted to make money. <laughs> God, I wish they were interested in making money. Yeah. I just I don't know if Flesh and Blood works well as a as a digital game. Maybe it could, and you know, maybe future iterations of the design could change that. But right now, I think if you threw Flesh and Blood on an online client, and I'm sorry if you're listening from Marvel's staff, uh, it would get really boring really fast, in my opinion. We've gotten like a full, like normally our podcasts are like an hour, right? We're, so now we're like in the, this is bonus content. We're making right? up for last week. Last, last week we had like a 30 minute episode because I was yeah. sick and now we're making up for it with uh, infinite flesh and blood talk. That's what everybody loves this to hear. This is, this is bonus content. It's yeah. fine. Content. This is like a, a Patreon only episode. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's an interesting slot, but I, I don't like talking about my critiques of flesh and blood because I think that the. I don't I like I literally don't say them out loud so nobody nobody tells me I'm wrong or says bad things but I feel like a critique against my arguments are very fair which is that I'm just I'm kind of a boomer you know I played the game since the inception I could just be jaded you know I've gotten burned in a lot of ways that are not gameplay oriented whether it's been with the publisher it's been through casting it's been through you know people just being annoying and unpleasant on Twitter you know like there's things that have made me jaded to the game um and I'm also kind of washed up compared to where I was. I'm not rattling off you know, five, five, five wins in a row at regional events. So there's part of that where it's like I could just not. I could be in a state where I can't look at the look at the game through a fair lens. And I think that's a totally fine argument. But at the end of the day, what I come to is that I come to this this sort of this critical point, which is if the game is not fun, that's it. There doesn't have to be a why. If it's just yes. not fun, you don't have to play anymore. Yes, this goes back to that other question yeah, about the guy who's like, if we've had a whole week and it's like, dude, please take care of yourself. Yeah, it's an interesting spot. Um, obviously, it's 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 more complicated than that because I have, you know, a lot of things are tied up in flesh and blood and it dictates a lot of the a lot of the best parts of my life in the past three to four years have been through flesh and blood, whether it's been traveling, seeing friends, these awesome experiences. So it's not that simple, but it is that simple at the same time. It is that simple. Mm-hmm. Anyway, next, next. This was a lot of questions, and it's kind of the last one here, which is a lot of people are just saying zombies OP. What do you, mm-hmm. what are your, what are your thoughts? Because I know we talked a lot about lockdown this episode. But what are your thoughts about about Zabu? We talked about Zabu, the issues of Zabu. You know, playing two, 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 four costs on turn six, um, cheating them out an entire <laughs> uh, turn earlier on turn three. Like, where do you, what do you think is the state of Zabu, and do you think that Zabu potentially needs a change right now? 
Uh, yes, it's OP. No, I don't think it's OTA fixable. Yes, they eventually will have to rework him entirely. Yeah. It also just... It, it, it is a... Like, when you look at deck building in Marvel Snap, I think that it is almost impossible to look at it not through the lens of Zabu as, like, an original filter of things you need to consider. Like, it completely warps deck building. I, I also think, I will say, that... The reason I feel like this has to be a certainty is because it benefits second dinner. When you have one deck that is sort of like this is where the cards go, it makes it a lot harder to make new cards, yeah. right? And so you can just getting rid of, say, Zabu opens up uh, so much space that they can fill with expensive shit, right? Like this is the kind of thing where it's like, not only do we want this, I think long term they want this too. Mm. Yeah, because I mean, currently, I mean, there are outliers like Gladiator, but a lot of I think a lot of three cost cards are just kind of like lol, right? Like, why not just play the more mm. actual four cost card four three when you draw, when you draw your Zabu? Um, so yeah. Anyway, my the last question on here was a question from me, and that's that Marvel Snap on their or second dinner on their roadmap has an additional game mode coming up for Marvel Snap. I think it I, it might be far out. I can't remember if it's like in development or it's like upcoming. But what do you think that game mode is? I will tell you, I think there's pretty much no chance it's draft. Um, and I think I think they're basically the reason I think that it'll never be draft. And I think this also applies. To, I just don't think they want to let you play without collecting the cards. Mm. I just don't think they want to let you do that. And I totally understand why, right? Because like sudden, let's say you release like a really sick, awesome game mode, right? And all the people that were spending $100 a month are now not. It's like you, you did the Hearthstone Battlegrounds thing, right? Yeah. Where it's like... I think draft would be basically though. Draft, but how... It would either have to be... In order to make up for the current rates of prices on cards it would be very difficult to charge any amount of money for it, right? Where we're, what we're talking about there is like almost certainly a proposition wherein they invest hours of dev time, hours and hours and hundreds of hours of dev time in creating a mode that is ultimately going to lose them money. Mm. And I don't mean lose money on the mode. I mean, lose money compared to not having the mode. Yeah. And I just, I, I, the, the, like when you think about it in those in that context, it's just like I don't understand what it could be. I, I have no idea what that another mode could even be. I have an interesting devil's advocate. So what if it, mm. what if I pitch it to you as an alternate revenue stream? So it is pay to play. Let's say you enter with gold. Maybe you can go infinite on that gold if you do like ten o seven o whatever. But an alternate form of revenue because their current uh, structure and how they they sell cards to players is actually inherently faulty because players hoard resources and don't buy cards that aren't OP. So let's say in a month, you know, there's one card that is an outlier and everybody's going to pick up that card. But then they've talked about it multiple times. People hoard the resources. They're not spending cards on cards that are shit or cards that are maybe, you know, a bit more eccentric. You know, they're not immediately powerful. What if it's just another way to monetize and have a revenue stream off of a pay to play sort of uh, game mode? The issue is if it's good enough, it'll replace it, mm -hmm. right? Like, that's the issue. It'll, it'll either have to be so bad as to be unplayable, so expensive as to be not worth it, or it'll end up replacing people getting those cards. And that is something that they probably cannot afford to do. 
And so when they talk about a new game mode, I think a lot of people are hoping for it to be like some sort of F2P friendly thing. Oh, yeah. And I just can't envision that. Like, I can't envision it's anything like that. There's two game modes that I see as possibilities. And if it's outside of that, I would be surprised. That's <clears throat> one draft and it maybe it won't happen for the reasons that you said, but I think that that's a natural sequitur and people want that mm-hmm. draft or multiplayer. Um, cause I think multi- yeah, I think if you, every card game in 2024, uh, they don't look at the single player one V one game. Like, Oh, look at that's, that's where the money is. They look at a multiplayer card game and that's 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 really people like this more casual experience where they can play and relax and maybe marvel snap is not a platform that's suited for that or a game that's suited for that but i would not be surprised to even try i think that one makes a lot more monetary sense mm-hmm. where it's like it's not interfering with their current acquisition systems yeah right and it is an addition to the game for something to make sense it has to make monetary sense mm-hmm. the others are basically Oh, oh, oh my god hold on i'm cooking for something to make sense it happens it has to make dollars yeah lots of dollars <laughs> lots of dollars many dollars um which is fine for me i'm cool with that i'm cool with that as long as it's fun <clears throat> and engaging and i don't end up in poverty outside the other end because i'm almost like i'm pretty close to that anyway um if it don't make dollars don't make sense don't make dollars don't make sense all right um yeah in terms of the main topic I was going to hit, we basically hit all the lists and all the decks in the, in the metagame throughout this. So I just mm-hmm. want to ask you one more time before the card comes out, Proxima Midnight 4-7, when this is discarded, jumps to your lowest power location that isn't full. What are your thoughts? I want her to be good so bad. But can you see like, her being I want, good? Not really. I want to try her in like the Dakin deck and see if you can just run like, like Blade Proxima and just be like, I'm going to play Dakin midrange with Blade Proxima in it. And it's like, that, that that's actually pretty compelling to me, right? Like just a free guy. Yeah, zero four. You're seven. like your black bolt stature, three four seven. Yeah, just, just go nuts with it. Play like you know Wolverine in there, swarm in there, right? And just like small small discard package. Get mm. some free stats and like put a Shang Chi in there and see if you can figure out how to stat your opponent to death while dodging their Shang Chi's and playing your own tech cards and do, doing doing things like that. Getting free stats, like that's sort of where my head would be at with her. Yeah, I think that in in a similar vein to uh, like when we talked about Hella and when we health powerful, I feel like when you find these cards or these archetypes like discard, um, when you take the downside of the deck and then you make it no longer a downside, it gives it a lot of room to be super powerful. And it seems like Proxima Midnight could just be an additional, like an addition to sort of um, the coming of age of that deck that every single discard is just freaking gasolina, you know? What is her... What is her text exactly? When this is discarded, jumps to your lowest power location that isn't full. Okay. I was just making sure it was lowest power and not lowest power differential. Because lowest power means that, like, it's 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 going on your Dracula. Like, <laughs> this, this, this is going on your Dracula, right? So it's not that good in, like, traditional Modoc discard unless you don't have the Dracula, right? But, like, a- outside of that, like, it, it's the mid-range stuff. Yeah. Like, I want to play this in a Shang-Chi deck. I want to figure out if that's possible, right? And I think, unfortunately, that means I can't play Corvus because you end up in this situation where you play your Corvus and you're like, ah, I'm discarding cards. You discard your Shang-Chi and your deck sucks, right? So it has to be in something like Blade. It has to be with like Blade and some other targeted discards that you use to get this free stuff. You capitalize on your free stats. You play Black Bolt stature tech card stuff. And that's how you play the deck would be would be how I consider it. One interesting thing I do like about Proxima is unlike Stature, she does not lose to Mobius. 
Yeah. True. True. It's an interesting card, actually. Um, I don't know if the X7 stat line will be enough of a payoff for the deck building constrictions, but yeah, if you can consistently turn what is a downside, discard often a down, what is theoretically a downside, which is discarding a card into an upside, and you can and you can consistently cheat out a zero seven at this rate. That's a, that's a good place to be. Whether you're doing it with Blade or you're doing it with Modok at the end, um, I think it's a it's a powerful effect. So interested to see. It obviously just goes in a few shells, though. It's not like this this uh, insanely flexible card in terms of the meta game. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Well. If you're listening to this podcast, you made it all the way through this. Uh, we appreciate you. And the number one thing you can do for us is leave us a review on ratethispodcast.com slash snapshot. Um, you can either, you can also go to any plat, uh, pod platform you're listening on, whether Spotify or Apple. Anything works, and we read every single review. There's a video version of this on YouTube at youtube.com slash the underscore snapshot. Hit that subscribe while you're there. Brendan APG, KM Best MS. So you can find us on Twitter. KM is streaming in the evenings. It's true. I am streaming in the evenings. Uh, as we record on Sunday, I'll be broadcasting the Johnson Cup in like an hour or so. It's gonna be sick. It is gonna be sick. Although it like the the, the production issues are are myriad when it comes to figuring out how to do delay and all of that stuff. I end up uh I I, I paid Browday to just run it on delay for me, and then that way my stream doesn't have to be delayed, but the gameplay can be mm-hmm. delayed. What's uh, what so is the Johnson I, Cup for people who don't know? A tournament between just some of the best ladder players in the world. And like these are these are teams of extremely talented players. I will say uh, the top bracket of B bracket has two teams that are composed almost entirely of people who have been in my videos and or are on my 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 Twitch channel regularly. So I'm very happy for that. The top matchup is like. Uh, a, a bracket matchup between like two teams of my friends mm-hmm. so i'm very i'm very happy for that we're gonna see at least one of the team of my teams of my friends in the finals so what, uh, in the finals of the the american bracket what format is in tournament 3v3 okay and it's teams of three where the idea is you can switch decks whenever you can do whatever you want but if you win you have to stay on and whoever wins three first it's winner stays on three wins uh teams of three sweet All right. Well, look forward to that. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week.